Today, we're starting our series on Colossians, and so uh, you can see our beautiful artwork, Jesus over all. And so as we look throughout Paul's epistles, we see that each, you know, has its own dominant theme. Each has its own theme that it carries. Uh, In Romans, it's justification by faith. In Ephesians, it is the mystery of Christ and his church. In Philippians, it is the joy that Christ brings. And in Colossians, it is absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus that really comes into play in this book. I'm trying the clicker and we'll see if it's going to work. Oh, man. I'm really showing my best side today. It was just, I'm done. I don't actually have a clicker. That was just for show. Um, anyways. <laughs> So it's Colossians about the supremacy, Jesus overall. He is the only one. There's nothing we need to add to him. Uh, recently, my kids, they want to explore and with their food. And so they want to add weird ingredients to things that normally don't get that ingredient. Zion's on a big ranch kick right now. And so he wants to put ranch on everything. And so he's like, can I put my ranch on my grilled cheese? No, Zion. Can I put ranch on my, what was it? My peas. He want to put ranch on his peas. Like, no, that's gross. And so, and then Jude, he wants to like, his cereal, he wants to try different kind of liquids in there. And so it's chocolate milk or it's orange juice or it's apple juice. And so he's really wanting to add things that normally shouldn't be added to uh, that meal, our kids right now. And so we think about Colossians. Look at this beautiful metaphor that I just crafted for you. Uh, it's Jesus. And then that's what we need. And that's what the, Paul is trying to tell the church of Colossians because things are happening in Colossae that are trying to include others or other religions into following Jesus. So it's questioning his supremacy. And so this book, it represents a comprehensive picture of the fullness of Christ. So I'm going to give you a little background before we enter into uh, this book, what was happening in Colossae at this time. Colossae at one time, it was one of the prominent towns of the valley. Uh, by, by the New Testament era, it was a small town, well in the shadow of its nearby neighbors. And so biblical scholars, they believe that in, the Colossian church came into being in, during Paul's two-year ministry in Ephesus. Because Acts 19.10 says that during that time, all the residents of Asia, which included Colossae, they heard the word of the Lord. And so the scriptures reveal that Paul was preaching in Ephesus and two, or Ephesus, and two visitors from Colossae came to hear, and they came to believe. And their names were Epaphras and Philemon. And so this is what's happening at the church, or in Colossae at this time, and within the church culture too. There was this corruption of Christianity with elements of mystical and legalistic Judaism and perhaps combined with some Gnosticism. And you're like, what does that mean? Actually, I don't know. And so uh, I'll leave that for you to Google when you leave. I'm just kidding. Uh, You can laugh. I'll tell you. And so Gnostics, they believe this. Gnostics were people in the know. So it's described almost like the cool kids in the school. And they held as their basic doctrine that matter, so anything that was physical or created, was evil, and that only the spirit was good. And so they reasoned, therefore, that God could not be involved in creation, because being perfect, he could not touch matter, which was intrinsically evil. So this reasoning then led to them believe that Jesus Christ, if he was really the Son of God, He could not take on human bodily form because matter is evil. 
So right there, they are questioning the supremacy of Jesus and why he came. Because if he came, Jesus, but he took this body, then the body is evil. And so therefore, Jesus wasn't a God because he was in a body. And the body is evil. And it's not good. So this delusion, it spawned the Gnostic romances about Jesus being only like a ghost-like phantom. To the Gnostics, Christ was not the creator. The incarnation was not real, and Christ wasn't enough. So the Gnostics, they built this system, which one could begin with Christ. So yeah, you could start there, but then you had to work your way up through a series of other gods to get to the almighty God. So yeah, you could start Jesus. You can believe that, you know, there was uh, you know, a ghost-like person that came, but then you have this ladder where you eventually get to God. So in Colossae, the system consisted of aesthetic disciplines that they would have done. There were secret passwords. There was astrology, and there was elements of Christianity that was happening in this faith at this time. So it was all very complex. It was proudly intellectual. And the Gnostics, those in the know, looked down upon the simple Colossian church. They browbeat them, and they led them astray. And so... Of the first century religious environments, much like our own today. It was a time of religious mixing, of people borrowing a little from this religion and a little from that religion. The only difference was that in the first century, one could join a group who did the borrowing, but in our modern culture, one does the borrowing oneself. So we, in our culture, a lot of people who are creating their way to God, we see with all the different ways that people talk about, this is how you get to, to God. So whatever the problem was precisely, Paul dwelt on this solution, a better understanding of Jesus, knowing the real Jesus. This is what Colossians talks about, the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. To say that he is the only one, he is the only way, he is the one that we come to, he is sufficient enough. Jesus plus nothing is everything. And so this is what's happening. Now, let's look at the first 14 verses this morning of Colossians. And we'll take home some points for us as a church. And we'll talk about uh, what it looks like for us to be a church that models even the way the Colossians were encouraged by Paul. Colossians 1, 1 to 14 is the scriptures we are looking at this morning. You can write it down. You can turn to your Bibles if you have your Bibles with you or open your uh, Bible app on your phone. If you don't have any of those things, it's going to be up here on the screen. Here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. So we see right at the beginning, Paul is delighted to hear the gospel being planted in Colossae. He's really encouraged the gospel is implanted there. He's never been there. He's never visited. He's simply only heard of this church. And so he hears what's happening in this church. And so he feels like it's very important to send a letter to them. And he hears that they're growing and there's fruit within their church. And he puts his finger on the key thing right away, the fruit that appears quietly, but surely within a genuine Christian community when it's planted. 
And what is that fruit? What is that fruit that he's talking about? He first celebrates their faith, hope, and love. And I forgot a comma. Don't forget me. Forgive me, please. Faith, comma, hope, and love. I don't know why I point the grammatical things out on my PowerPoint. If you've been here for a while, I do that a lot. And so it may be the teacher inside of me. And so I want to be better at grammar for you guys. So I want to be the best Englishman. And so anyways, faith, hope, and love are mentioned numerous times in Scripture. And it's that, this apostolic shorthand for genuine Christianity that he's talking about. Because none of these qualities, they, can be manu- they can't be manufactured by man. They all come from God. See, faith is always mentioned first in the trio because apart from faith, right, there is no Christian experience. Here, Paul was very specific about the object of their faith. And he was saying, it is Jesus Christ. The object of our faith is Jesus Christ. See, faith has no intrinsic value in itself. It derives its value from the thing you are believing in. When someone says that he or she has faith, the question must be asked, faith in what? In the reincarnation, that God is good. Faith in faith. What are you placing your faith in? And Paul's saying you need to place your faith first and foremost in Christ Jesus. What do you believe in? What do you put your faith in? When John G. Patton was translating the Bible in the Outer Hebrides, he searched for the exact word to translate believe, uh, faith. And finally he found it. It meant this, the word meant to lean your whole weight upon, to put everything into that, to believe that that is what is going to hold you up. We have a swing in our backyard. It is specifically crafted for five to ten-year-olds, I believe. Sometimes I sit on that swing. I put my faith in that swing, um, that it will hold my 110-pound body. Um, but and so maybe 200, I don't know. And so, uh, but some, like, that's not the greatest thing to put my faith in because that, that swing does not hold me. Um, the, this sounds very, very painful. Like, the swing sounds like it's screaming for bloody murder, for me to get off when I go once forward. That is what the Colossians, despite their Gnostic detractors, had done. The Colossians, they had put their faith in Jesus Christ alone. That was something to celebrate. That's where it begins. We put our faith and lean into certain things sometimes. Sports fans, sometimes we put our faith into our sports team. And if you've cheered for a team before, you've probably been disappointed once. If certain team, you might have been disappointed more times than once. Right? We have the Blue Jays playing today. Who's following the Blue Jays? We're putting our faith that the Blue Jays will beat the Orioles. But It's not just that the Blue Jays have to beat the Orioles to get into the playoffs. We have to cheer for the Nationals to beat the Red Sox. We have to cheer for the Rays to beat the Yankees. And so there's much more things we have to try to put our faith in, and we could be disappointed. Hopefully not. Um, But Paul, he is lauding the church for its faith in Jesus Christ. Paul continued to laud the Colossians then for the love that they had for all the saints. It says, Paul has mentioned this many times. Or he's mentioned it in Galatians 5, 6. For Paul... Faith proved its reality by working through love. John 13, 34 to 35 says, Loving God is seen in how one loves his neighbor, and particularly another believer. Love for uh, the brethren, love for our church, love that is coming out of the church is a true sign of faith. That we put our faith in Jesus. It is a beautiful thing when you see the church have love for all the saints. Not just for some, not just for the lovable, but for everyone. 
And this is what made the early church so amazing back when it started. And so enticing to the ancient world. There is more sects, S-E-C-T-S, that were divided back in the day. You were this or you were this, and you couldn't be this. And so the church came and invited everyone, barbarian, slave and free, male and female, Jew and Greek, learned and ignorant, joined hands and sat down at one table. There was the love for all, love for whoever came and who had faith in Jesus. It didn't matter. And that's what it, Paul is lauding that church for being, a faithful, loving church. Because a new thing had come into the world, a community held together by love and not by geographical accidents or common language or by iron or by chains or conquerors. Genuine love was the cause for Paul's joyous celebration for the apostolic church. And then we see he celebrates their hope, Paul. Hope is placed last because in this instant, Paul saw that faith and love as springing from it. He saw that hope sprung from their faith and their love. How does hope of heaven cause faith and love to come forth? Because as pagans, the Colossians, they had been without God and without hope in the world. Then Epaphras and Philemon came and enlarged their faith and their love. And with the news of Jesus Christ, this brought them a new hope that forged them together amidst the prevailing thoughts around them. Paul is showing us what a church built on faith, love, and hope can look like. This message should resonate with us today in our climate. Because the behavior which marks out so much of our world, like lust and anger, lies and so on, it splits up families and communities. But when we can replace it with kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, and acceptance of one another as members of the same family, even where there are major differences of race, background, and culture, that's what the church is meant to be. And this, as far as Paul is concerned, is the true sign of God at work. And he is thrilled and grateful to hear about it as he begins this letter to the Colossians. Because the gospel it replaces our anger, our lust, and our lies with kindness, gentleness, and forgiveness. And we want to see this in our community. A sign that the gospel is continually working in us and that the gospel is reaching out to our community. But it first starts within our lives here as the church. Because our world is filled with these things like anger and lust and lies right now. It feels like more than ever, you have to walk on eggshells around any topic. Because depending on your stance, you might be met with anger. But as the gospel transforms us, as it has transformed us, as it continues to transform us, our attitudes are changed and therefore we bear fruit, one of gentleness, a kindness, of love, of faith, and hope. And the church in Colossians was faced with the challenge from the Gnostics of mixing and matching faith. We hear that, and we're like, I can hear that today in our culture. A little bit of Jesus mixed with a little bit of Buddha. A little bit of Jesus mixed with maybe some social policies. I don't know. A little bit of Jesus. We see this in the States mixed with politics. But the church in Colossians is being reminded that, as we constantly need to be reminded that this, that Jesus is supreme. He is all that we need to lean our weight into. A love for Christ. 
Simply, it starts there. As I mentioned before, Jesus plus something is nothing. Jesus plus nothing is everything. And we continue in Colossians chapter 5b verse verse 8. And about which you had already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you, in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understand God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and also told us of your love in the Spirit. We see that Paul is talking to a church that is a fruit-bearing church, that there is a fruit-bearing believers within this church. And he's calling us to be likewise, fruit-bearing believers, a fruit-bearing church. When he was celebrating, what Paul was celebrating was its dynamic power and the universality of the church. That he had reached there without him ever being there. That it was growing. That they understood that he needed to remind them, hey, as you continue on this journey, as we need to be reminded sometimes, because we can quietly add things to our faith. As we see culture, maybe we've spent time away from Christ. You know what? The enemy slowly creeps in. We need to be reminded that it's Jesus alone. What does he want from us? What is he calling us to do? Unlike the Gnostics, Christ's good news was for everybody and was daily reaching people. Because the miracle of this little church in Lycus Valley was cause for celebration. Because we are God's holy and faithful ones. We are his saints. We are his brothers and sisters with a common father. We are in Christ and are a part of the joyous mystery of the body. The grace of God has been freely poured upon us. Grace upon grace, as John 1.16 says. And we have peace. We have shalom, the well-being that results from divine grace in the presence of God. Because we see this. God has given us faith, love, and hope. He's given us faith in Christ, love for all the saints, hope laid upon in heaven. And in joyful community with the Colossian church, we need to daily celebrate the good news of abundance life in Jesus Christ. And we even think of the song that Julie sang, the goodness of God within our lives. Let that be a reminder as we continue journey through life that his goodness is for us. These first eight verses, we are getting a picture of the fruits of the gospel. The fruit of the gospel and believers, the fruit of the gospel in our church. That it produces faith, hope, and love. Colossians was the perfect example of the fruit of the gospel growing and spreading. Because Paul, like I said, he had never been there. But the gospel of Jesus that he shared reached his community. And from it birthed a church. And as believers, as a church, we should be encouraged to see this. What we speak and preach here and to those around us has the potential to spread to spaces across and places across this world. This is why we do it, so we can encourage each other, so we can learn about Christ, so we can grow in faith, so that we leave this space and we go share the good news of Jesus in our communities, in our workspaces. Because the beauty of that is, as we see here in Colossians, is that people come to know Jesus, people come to faith, And when people come to faith, the church grows. This is why we do this on Sunday. This is what Paul is encouraging the church of Colossians. 
Yes, to learn, to grow, to make Jesus first, to make him supreme. But then we see the beauty of a gospel that spreads like wildfire. And we believe, I believe, that that can happen in our community here in Lake Country. Because if we don't believe that, then why are we doing this? We have a future generation that we are building up, that we are sharing the gospel to. We have those little ones and our junior youth and our senior youth who are learning about Christ right now. The fruit of that is that they go and hopefully share the gospel. They talk with their friends. They live a life that mimics Christ. And they bear fruit in their communities. Now, I'm going to close as we look at these last uh, five verses of Colossians uh, chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. And it says this. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may have live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In this last section, we see this prayer that Paul, he prays over the church of Colossians. This prayer that should really encapsulate and encourage our church as we move forward. And there are a few things I want to point out in this prayer for the church. The gospel doesn't just produce a new religious experience for those who might like such a thing. It brings about something much greater, nothing less than a new creation. Because when people become Christians, God implants into them a new sense of his presence and love, his guiding and his strengthening. And this sense needs nurturing. It needs developing. And new Christians need to understand what's happening to them and how they must cooperate with the divine life that has gently begun to work in them. They need discipleship. And on top of that, we constantly need to learn and grow ourselves. Because as we are continually here, we are not all-knowing. Paul in prison can help this process in two ways. He helps the process in Colossians in two ways. First, by writing. He's going to give them a whole bunch of things as we look through Colossians that he's going to encourage them to do, that he's going to share with them. But supremely, he does this by prayer. Whether you're a new Christian yourself, needing to grow in your faith, maybe you're a Christian leader wanting to nurture those in your care, Paul's prayer for the new church and Colossae provides this wonderful pattern of how we can grow. It is significant that Paul prayed for the Colossians' knowledge, right? Because what they were battling from the Gnostics was that the Gnostics, they knew all. They were all wise. But there was so much more they could know and experience if only they would incorporate there, that's what the Gnostics were saying. There's so much more than you can experience if you incorporated the system of passwords and rights and initiations. But their superior 
know-it-all air was intimidating. In some of the Colossians, they were made to feel like they were lacking. They're feeling like, I don't know. Like, I don't know as much as these Gnostics. They seem so much smaller. I'm simply just believing in Jesus. But maybe should I add something else to my faith to make it better, to make it smarter, to make it feel like I know what I'm doing? But Paul's prayer that the Colossians be filled with knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, it hit that problem right on the head. Because the word that Paul used for knowledge is this. Epinosi, which means precise and correct knowledge. So he's saying that Jesus is the precise and the correct knowledge that you need for faith. He's everything that you need. You don't need nasi, which is a word for knowledge, which meant understanding based on personal experience. He said, you need the epinasi. Sounds Italian. I, that's why I did that with my fingers. Epinasi. Paul is reminding the Colossians that proper knowledge, wisdom comes from knowing Jesus. That as you know him, as you draw close to him, as you read your Bible, as you pray to him, there's something that called the Holy Spirit that comes and uh, speaks and, and, and gives you wisdom. My job as a father is to teach my children in the way of Jesus. This includes a lot of prayer because I got four kids, so I'm praying all the time. I'm praying right now for them. Um, thank you. <laughs> My hope is they grow in wisdom and thanksgiving. And as they walk out into the world, they make proper stances. And there's encouragement along the way. The other last, I think it was last year, two years ago, uh, Zion and Jude, they were sharing a room together. And Jude was saying something that he heard in his class that he was doing at pre-K at the school. And Zion very properly came and be like, no, Jude, that's actually not right. And I actually just sit there and I didn't go in to say anything. I just sit there and let Zion teach Jude the proper way. And I was like, man, Kim's doing such a good job. <laughs> so I, we're both doing a good job, I hope. And so, but you know, on the other side, Jude went to his class and was telling that Santa is not real and had the whole class crying. And so a class of pre-K kids. So he, he, he likes the truth, but man, he's got to learn to filter. And so, um, and we're not saying Santa's not real. I'm, I'm not sure where this is going actually right now. Let's continue on. And so Santa's not real. Um, Paul's prayer for the church is that it would grow in wisdom and knowledge. They needed wisdom and spiritual understanding. Not just book learning, like the Gnostics, or human traditions. They can be helpful for sure. But a deep inner sense of who they now are. Of the newly created human life, which they have received from God. And with that, they want, there should, that should be nurtured. This is where the Holy Spirit, as I mentioned, comes and leads and guides and speaks to us. Because Christian teachers can talk that they're blue in the face. But unless their hearers have this inner sense of wisdom and understanding that comes from personally drawing close to Jesus, spending time with him, having a relationship with him, this awareness of the true God loving them and shaping their lives in a new way, it will not produce genuine discipleship unless you experience that. Paul's prayer passes to other things. Behavior and bearing fruit. I'll invite the worship team to come up. I'm just going to close here. The new instinct implanted in the Christian will lead him or her to a new lifestyle. And this delights God. Not least because it reflects at last his glorious intention for human creation. 
Because there are two lies which the world often tells about God's intention for human behavior. The first lie is that people say that God doesn't want us to have a good time. And the second lie is that they say even if we try to live as he wants, all we're ever going to get is a begrudging approval. See, people often imagine that God is eager to spot the slightest wrongdoing and tell us offer it. And this verse shows how wrong both of those are. God's intention is for human life to flourish and bear fruit. Christ wants you to flourish and bear fruit. What Paul said in verse 6 about the gospel, God's powerful world, he, where he now says again about the people themselves in whose hearts and lives the word is doing the work. Because Paul's prayer for the church shows this, that we may endure and have patience. Because the climax of Paul's prayer is that the young Christians will learn the art of thanksgiving, the art of understanding God's goodness. Because what Paul most wants to see growing in the church as a sign of a healthy Christian life, of the way to maturity, is gratitude to God for the extraordinary things he's done in Jesus and the remarkable things he's continuing to do in the world and in the lives. And what a perfect song choice that Julie had with the goodness of God. Because spontaneous gratitude of this kind is a sign that they are coming to know and love the true God. Because spontaneous gratitude of this kind is a sign that they are coming to know and love him as opposed to some imaginary one. Because God, God's heart is that we recognize his overflowing generosity. Because Paul would say to us, as he said to the young Christians in Colossae, that a life in the presence of this God will be a life full of thanksgiving. His prayer for the church is that it would grow in knowledge, that it would grow in endurance, that it would grow in thanksgiving. That we, as a church, would grow in knowledge and endurance and thanksgiving. So this prayer is relevant for us today. This scripture, this, this book is relevant for us today as we follow Christ, as we go out into this world and we share of his goodness. Let us lean into Colossians throughout this next little while. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word to the church of Colossae. Although we recognize that, that it resonates with us today. Lord, that you want to speak to our hearts and our minds. Lord, that you want us to grow in knowledge. And that simply comes by drawing closer to you. Lord, that you want us to be a church full of faith, hope, and love. Lord, that we can be the opposite of what the culture is around us trying to do. And Lord, that your prayer for us is that we would grow in thanksgiving, that we would grow in endurance, Lord, and of course that we would grow in knowledge. Lord, we don't need to add anything to you. You are simply enough. We don't need to add a ranch to you, Jesus. We don't need to add Buddha to you. We don't need to add political parties to you. Lord, we don't need to add social policies to you. Lord, we don't need to add these things. Faith in you is enough, Jesus. Because it produces so much within our lives. That we bear fruit. That speaks of a God who's not condemning, who doesn't look down upon us, but a God who wants to see us flourish and bear fruit. That's a good God.